Oh, good, good evening. This is Chaim Bravender. It's eight o'clock in Yerushalayim. A little warm today, but uh, I hope everybody feels okay. This uh, shir in Parshat Kitavo is dedicated Lehilui Nishmat Shendel Bat Gershon Aleha Hashalom. One of the really strange features of Parshat Kitavo is this demand that Moshe Rabbeinu makes, I mean, speaking in the name of Akkadosh Baruch Hu, to set up stones near Shechem at Har Eval, at the mountain called Eval, and that on those stones to write something not perfectly clear. Let's look at the Psukim in order to get a, a sense of what it is that is going on. Perik of Zion, Pasuk Allah, Bayetzav Moshe Vizikney Israel. Bayetzav Moshe Vizikney Israel. Et Ha'am and they spoke to the nation. Now that itself is not obvious. Not obvious. Usually it's Moshe Rabbeinu that commands B'nai Yisrael. Here it's Moshe, B'zikne Yisrael. What does that mean? Vayitzav Moshe B'zikne Yisrael, Rashi doesn't explain it. Et ha'am le'moah, they command or pass down the command to B'nai Yisrael. Shamor et kol ha-mitzvah asher anochi mitzvah This seems to be a pretty common introduction that we learned about in the book of Tvarim again and again, Moshe Rabbeinu tells B'nai Yisrael that their job is going to be to keep the faith, to do the mitzvot, to, uh, to appreciate what God has done for us. And here he says, watch carefully all the mitzvot that I, Anochi, Anochi usually refers to God, Rashi says, Shamor Kola Mitzvah. You see the Rashi to the left. Sorry, I didn't get the. Uh... Let's see if I can do this. Let's see, who knows? Lishon Hoveh, Lishon Hoveh, Shamor. And now, immediately, Right, then he translated, I won't get into that. So he says, Shamor. Shamor is an introduction. Do it now. Do it right away. It's very important. What's so important? On the very day that you go across the Jordan River into Eretz Kenan, which here is called El Ha'aretz Asher, to the land that Hashem Elokecha Matein Lach. With all these introductory phrases again and again, God is commanding you, you better watch carefully what God tells you to do. And you do it immediately when you come into Eretz Kenan, Vakemota Lecha Avanim Gidolot. And you should set up stones, avanim, 
gedolot, big ones. Besadita otam besida. You should cover them with a kind of whitewash. Whitewash which enables you to write on them. Besadita otam besida. Then Pasuk Gimel says, Pasuk Gimel, we'll look in a minute at Rashi, but let's look at Pasuk Gimel. First, we get Tavtalayem, and you will write on these stones at Kol Divrei HaTorah Hazot, you'll write all the words of the Torah, all the words of HaTorah Hazot, this Torah that I gave you, like the scrolls of Torah that were finished by Moshe Rabbeinu on the eve of his death, when you pass, when you go by, and all of this for what reason? You'll be able to come to the land which God has given you. You'll be able to come properly. You'll be able to come as you should be able to come. Reminding them that they've got a good thing coming. The land of Israel is really wonderful. It seems to be almost like a non sequitur of some sort. If you write on the stones all of the Torah, then something good will happen to you. You will receive the land of Israel. What sort of connection? Might there be between writing the entire Torah on the stones when you come into Eretz Canaan and the fact that you're going to inherit the land? I mean, we know that we're going to inherit the land. We know that that's what a Kodesh Baruch who is directing us towards. So what is all of this about? Besides which, I don't know exactly I don't know exactly whether how big these stones were and what the whitewash is. There's the seed, the whitewash. I mean, I can understand that it it's easier to read with the whitewash, but, but how could it be that the Torah doesn't tell us what to write? What should we write on these stones? So we look at the Rashi. Rashi says, you set it up, set up these stones. Yardain in the Jordan River. And you'll take out other stones. And you'll build an altar in Hareval. That's what it says in the next pasuk that you have to build an altar. Therefore, ergo, it turns out, it turns out, that even though in this parasha that we're looking at, it looks like there's just one set of, of stones, there were actually three sets of stones. Shneim Asab Yardain, 12 were set up in the Jordan River. Uchenegdan Begilgal, and another 12 in Gilgal. 
Ukidnegdam, and the third group, Vehar Eval, and this is all Kidaita Bemasaikat Sota, it's explained in Masachet Sota. So these Avanim apparently were very special and were necessary. In order to grab onto Eretz Yisrael, you had to have Avanim. And the Avanim, there were three of them, three groups of Avanim, three groups of 12. Right? One in the one in the Jordan River, one in Gilgal, and one in Har Eval. And this is explained at length in the in the uh, Gemara. Pasuk Dalit, Vaya Ba'avrechem et Ayardein. I mean, the Torah doesn't mention that. The Torah is just talking about one set of stones that you have to set up in Har Eval. Takimu et Ha'avanim Ha'ela Asharanok Mitzavetcher. You will establish, make them, set them in a permanent manner. Hayom behar eval, you'll set them up on eval v'sadeta otam b'sit, and you'll whitewash them, and you'll whitewash them. Uvanita pasuk hey, vanita shem mizbeach, v'ashem elokecha mizbeach avanim. And besides those stones, you have other stones, and the other stones you make a mizbeach an altar. Lo tadif alem barzel, you should not. Cut them with a sword. Cut them down. Shake them. You just use the stones as they are. Pasuk vav, avanim shleimot, tivne et mizbach Hashem elokech. You should use whole stones. Don't cut them. Vehaleita alav olot Hashem elokech. And you will sacrifice olot. But those sacrifices that are completely consumed by fire, you will sacrifice that to God. This will be a great source of joy. So what's happening there in Harival? Well, they have these stones they're setting up, and they're going to sadetot on the sea, they're going to whitewash them. And after they whitewash, they're going to write something on those on those stones. And finally, finally, as far as writing, it says, "Pasuk Chetu Katata Al Ha'Avanim Et Kol Torah Hazot." And on these stones that that they are now whitewashed, Kol Divrei Torah Hazot, you should write all of the Torah on these stones on these stones. And the final words of the pasuk, final words of the pasuk, of the pasuk, be'er heitev, write them very clearly. Write them in a way that they will be understood. Who's understood? So Rashi says, be'er heitev, you see that Rashi? See be'er heitev. Seventy different languages. So I think that 
this Rashi explaining the Er Tev, explaining the Er Tev as 70 languages is actually the key to understanding what is going on with these stones, with the whitewash, with the writing. Ber Tev is the key. Ber Tev says 70 languages. And we understand what 70 languages is or are. 70 languages means it's not for us, it's for them. It's not for us, the Jewish people. We have the Torah written in Hebrew, and it's important for us to be able to read the Torah as it was written, written down by Moshe Rabbeinu. It's important for us, but on the other hand, we're gonna make the effort. We're gonna know the language of the Torah. We'll understand, we'll understand what the Torah really means, understand. But this, these stones whitewashed and written upon, that's not for us. We don't know these 70 languages. That could be like a question, like who wrote the, the Torah in these 70 languages, but, but we know that there are people all over the world who know these languages. These are the 70 languages that were instituted after the Tower of Babel, after the, the uh, people of the world used the fact that they all understood each other improperly. And so a lack of understanding was brought into the world. You see, the Torah says, I have to tell you, I have to explain to you why people speak different languages. It doesn't really make sense. If the Torah began, the world began with one man and one woman and their children, etc. They could should all be speaking the same language. And the Torah says, no, you have to understand that the people in the world were not able to maintain a one language world. They use this ability to communicate. They use this ability to communicate poorly. And because they use that ability to communicate poorly, they built the Tower of Babel. Their punishment was that they wouldn't be able to communicate with each other so easily. They wouldn't be able to make alliances that ran uh, against God's will. They wouldn't be able to do that. So here's B'nai Yisrael coming to, B'nai Yisrael is coming to Eretz Yisrael. And what are they gonna do? They're like, they're like uh, a horde coming in from nowhere, from the desert. They're a desert or a horde coming to destroy whatever reasonable life there was in, whatever reasonable life there was in Eretz Canaan. And of course, the Canaanites, 
people felt that they lived according to the Rashi at the beginning of the Chumash, the Canaanites felt that they they had every right to be where they were. And if you would press them, they would say, after all, God put us here. God put us here, that's what the Canaanites would say. So when the Jews came from the wilderness, from the desert, and said, no, we're going to conquer you, we're going to move you out, then we're going to take over, we're going to become the indigenous tribes of the land of Canaan. Of course, they were going to, they were going to deny that. They're going to say, of course not, we have to go to war, we, have, we can't give you our homes. God gave us the homes and you're going to take them away, can't, it can't be. So the argument of the Canaanites, the argument of the Canaanites would probably be an argument using Hashem as the authority of their position. They would say, God put us here and there's no reason for us to leave. And if you want to, you want to attack this, you may, we're going to fight back, we're going to cause you trouble, we're going to make it difficult for you. And we know that there was difficulty. Philistines, for example. Philistines couldn't get rid of them. Eventually they disappeared. But the battles that took place at the time of Yoshua and afterwards of David Amalek, they couldn't get rid of the Philistines. So it was not obvious. It was not perfectly obvious. What was going on? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu and the Zkenim and the Zkenim, I want you to be able to pass this message on to the people of the world. The message is that we're here because HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought us here. That's the message. And they have to understand that message. So write it, Bishivim Lishonot. Write it, Bishivim Lishonot, 70, 70 languages. So that everybody in Eretz Kinan, no matter what language they spoke, and we know that they spoke a variety of languages. We know that every language that they spoke would be represented on this stone. So I think that that's the reason. The reason that you see the Gemara and Sota, the Gemara and Sota, the Tanaim disagree. But, but what the Abanim actually looked like. I mean, it doesn't say, the Torah doesn't tell us what the, all of this looked like at the end. But the, the Tanaim speculate based on the fact that they understood what the purpose was. The purpose was to communicate the position of the Torah to the people of Canaan, that they should understand what was happening. They should understand what was happening, that what was happening was orchestrated by and determined by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They, and so in the Gemara, there's a difference of opinion about what was written on these stones. 
There are those who think that the entire Torah was written. I know for the entire Torah to be written on a stone had to be a pretty big stone. Or maybe it was a miraculous kind of writing. They didn't have to write it all, but miraculously it appeared on the stones. The other opinion is uh, Rav Sadyago said it also before, uh, about the, the stones that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down from Mount Sinai, that they contain mitzvot. The mitzvot, you have to do this, don't do that. And going to Eretz Kedan for those people was a mitzvah. I don't want to get into the argument about whether it's a mitzvah to come to Eretz Israel or not. I mean, you could say what you wish on that, but for those people, the people who left Mitzrayim to go to Eretz Kedan under the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu, for those people, it was definitely a mitzvah. It's definitely a mitzvah. So the second opinion says that all the mitzvahs were written on the on these stones. And the third opinion is the book of Tvarim. But in whatever you would say, the entire Torah, the mitzvahs of the Torah, the book of Tvarim in the Torah, we understand that the information that's being conveyed to the peoples of the world by setting up these stones and writing on them in 60 languages, and it turned out that 60 languages was only 50 languages. Boy, it doesn't matter. What 60 languages means is that we want everybody to have access. We want to have everybody in the world understand what's going on. It's important for them to know what's going on. It's important for them to understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in charge of this project of the conquest of Eretz Kenan. Once you understand that, your attitude to the project changes. changes. And the way you act is going to, the way you act is going to, to change. It seems to me, it seems to me that this happened to B'nai Yisrael at one other time in Jewish history, and that's when Yehoshua Benun sent spies to spy out the land. Yehoshua Benun, remember, he inherited the mantle from Moshe Rabbeinu. And he knew very well that when Moshe Rabbeinu, he was one of the spies that Moshe Rabbeinu sent. And he knew that that turned out badly. And why would he, in the position of leadership, send spies again? He sent spies to, to Yericho to check it out, to see how it would be. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But, but why did Yoshua do that? I mean, after all, they all understood that God was in charge of this project and that the people were following the divine demand. Why did Yoshua send Maraglim? The beginning of the book of Yoshua. Why did he send spies to spy out the land in Yericho? And what happened to those spies? They got caught. 
They were in the house of Rachav. Rachav was a, a prostitute. So that doesn't sound so good. But I guess prostitutes know what's going on or something like that. So Rachav was, they were in the house of Rachav and Rachav saved them and then they got them out of a back, in the back way or through the roof and they ran away and the police couldn't catch them. And they made a deal with Rachav that if Rachav, if, if, they, uh, if they're saved, so they'll save Rachav's family they come back to the camp of Israel and Yoshua Benu goes to debrief them. You know, tell me what you saw, tell me what you heard, tell me what it did. And we wonder about that. I mean, that's what they didn't do anything. They got caught right away. They spend most of the time hiding or part of their time, part of the time talking to Rachav, which could have very minor military implications. And yet here's Yoshua Benun debriefing them as though they did something. They did the right thing. So you see if we would we'll we'll someday have the opportunity to learn the parasha together. Yoshua Benun, Yoshua Benun tells ask the spies, how was it? What did you find out? So I would think I didn't find out anything. But no, they say, no, we found out, we found out. We found out that the fear of God is in the people. We found that out from Rachav Azonah. We asked her, what do the people think about what's happening? And they said, we know exactly what's happening. God is bringing the Jewish people to Eretz Kedan. And we, the people of Yericho, fear God and are accepting of this process. That's what they, she said, that's what Rechav Azodat said to the spies. So now let's go again. The first question was, why did Yoshua send the spies? He didn't send them for military information. He didn't send them to find out how the roads were, how the buildings were. And that was not a problem. Yoshua knew that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would support the efforts of the Jewish people to reconquer the land. He was interested in something else. He asked the spies to find out if they knew that B'nai Yisrael, did they know that B'nai Yisrael was coming as the arm of God? That they were acting, were acting for God in the conquest of Eretz Canaan. And the spies said, yeah, they know that. Rachav Azonal told us that. We didn't ask her about the roads or about the pit stops that we'll have to make or about the, the way to fight against you. We didn't ask her any of those things. We just asked her, do you know what's going on? And she said, yes. She knew that God had sent us to conquer. So Yeshua was happy. 
because Yeshua leading B'nai Yisrael felt that it was important that B'nai Yisrael understand that there's an ethical side to the conquest. And that ethical side is, do they know that God is leading us in this path? Because if they know, then it makes sense that they should capitulate. They should accept the conditions that Yeshua laid down for the conquest of Eretz Canaan. They should accept those conditions. That was Yeshua's fear that they didn't know they would perceive us as being barbarians coming to conquer another stretch of territory. And Yeshua didn't want that. He didn't want that to be there. He didn't want that to be the case. So we see that in these two actions, on the one hand, the Miraglim that Yeshua sent, which were not sent to spy out the land, but were sent to find out if the people understood what was happening so that the action that he would take as the military leader of Am Yisrael, that those actions would be moral and represent an ethical position. Same is true about the stones in the parasha of Kitavo, the stones in the parasha of Kitavo. Those stones, those stones in the parasha of Kitavo had information written in the languages, the lingua franca of the people who were being uh, uh, dealt with. That's where, and they would be able to access that information. And to understand, if they didn't understand previously, they would understand by this admission that B'nai Yisrael made by putting up the Torah on the stones, that they were following the directives of the Rebbeinah right? And that's Moshe Rabbeinu's, one of Moshe Rabbeinu's last commands to B'nai Yisrael, and probably the way Yoshua Benun learned or understood that for him sending the spies to spy out the land would be a reasonable, a reasonable thing to do. Uh, okay. All the best. I'll see you next week.